0: Existence is war. All beings learn wisdom by first separating themselves from the unity of things, and then separating the unity of what remains. Only by examining what has been broken can be can a mage understands its original wholeness. If you remain in Original bliss, the unity of all things, will be felt in much the same way. Practically speaking, an arrow should be able to use any fighting method as an allegorical solution to a nonviolent problem, and any peaceful technique to war, no, win a war any peaceful technique to win a war. Enlightenment is honor. Mages know that everything has esoteric meaning, so meaning alone cannot be a sign of wisdom. True enlightenment is the ability to create meaning as well as reflect it. Oaths are how an arrow connects to the wider world turning its lessons into unbreakable bonds of honor. An oath rewrites a mage's identity into something larger than herself. When she promises to protect a companion, she shares the meaning of her vow with her charge and her enemies alike. Oaths should never be broken but they shouldn't be too narrow either, lest a warrior place her judgment in formal words rather than in dynamic thoughts. Adaptability is strength. An arrow should never rely on magic alone or pure power of any kind. If she uses magic, physical strength, or power, Cutting words habitually to prevail, she cleaves to one way of doing things and denies the lessons afforded by new tactics. Pragmatically, an enemy can pick up a warrior's habits and use them against her. Sympathetic magic is the proof of many material spells. Unless she sheds thoughtless habits, a mage will make herself vulnerable, while it's easiest to see the problem inherent in relying on magic or one kind of magic too much. The order also the order also charges members with examining their mundane lives. Is a mage overly fond of material luxuries, prideful speech? If so, she should correct herself. Some arrows turn to ascetic living, but others careen from practice to practice, ready to change their dress, manners, and even names to ward off complacency. The supernal is the self. There's a reason only humans become mages. The human being is, in essence, no different from the cosmos. The body, mind, and soul form a microcosm of a larger reality. Physical discipline is more than a matter of muscle and bone. It's a way to explore occult reality which lies embedded in the flesh. Just Atlantean wisdom can be found in the fallen world. The mind's hidden depths and brilliant heights recall the service, no, recalls the supernal world. Service is mastery. Over the ages, the adamantine arrow learned that the that the an obvious ruler is rarely the true master of an occult hierarchy. Similarly, similarly, sleeping governments rely on a web of hidden actors. It's obvious then that power comes from action, not passive contemplation or meaningless structure. A straight or secret society benefits from its figureheads, who is the focal point of the group's ideas and the face of its hidden symbolic, or from its hidden power. An arrow should never seek power for herself because she would only be promoted to an ineffectual symbolic post. Instead, she serves a cabal as advisor and guardian. The ruler represents an idea that the mage should strive to obey, even if the actual person doesn't always live up to it. In times of crisis, an arrow may be the effective leader, but her actions shouldn't always be in service of that ideal rule, which is forever outside her domain. The adamantine arrow values efficiency, so it's, it int- integrates its rights into the principle aspects of training and exercising the warrior's art. An arrow is rarely without an oath to some person, cavalier, ideal, or an apprentice's first oath is to his teacher. He's expected to obey any order, no matter how ludicrous or dangerous. By putting himself at the mercy of a master, a mage is forced to strive beyond self-imposed limitations. After that, an arrow finds finds his, his place in, in awakened society by vowing to, to serve a person, organization, or cause. An arrow mage's oaths are loose enough to allow plenty of room for interpretation and almost never require them to obey an order to the letter. Instead the warrior promises to serve and the recipient of the pledge trusts him to make the best use of his expertise. Even though the Admantine Arrows mages are famous for their dwellings, for their dueling skills. They restrict challenges within their own ranks. Material wisdom is hard to acquire, but all, all one has to do to lose it is die. The Order prefers to avoid wasting its skilled members on pointless duels. Traditionally, a challenger must defeat an arrow's subordinates before being permitted to duel him. This hierarchy of justice or revenge keeps bad luck from destroying a lifetime of accumulated wisdom and discourages inter- an sign assassination under the pretext of a duel. This rule does not apply to challenges from outside the Order. Those an arrow must face alone, if at all. The adamantine arrow respects two relationships, students and teachers and commander and subordinate. Within Arrow Cabals these associations are normally one of the same, but outside of them the latter is determined by the nature of the arrow's oath, whether he's liege or vassal. Teachers and students do not have official names, go on by the vernacular of mages common language. The appointed defender of a mixed cabal, or the second most senior member of an arrow cabal, takes this title as the symbol of her group's material virtues. A banner warden considers it her prerogative, prerogative to represent the cabal in any magical duel and to organize the group's defenses. This leaves her superiors safe to refine their rule, or in the case of superiors within the order, to further the develop of mystical arts of war. War leaders and chiefs, tacticians, are given the title of adamant sage, In these fallen days, the title is rare, since modern mages rarely fight in large groups. Adamant Sage is more of 10, the unofficial leader of a concilium or large cabal. Her title is technically that of a military advisor. Her guidance is the de facto rule of law.